But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. Did you guys see the story about the uh, Colombian airline Airbus 320 that claims it struck something in flight? You know what story I'm talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is... I, I, you know, this is a story I found it about a week ago, and uh, well, maybe it wasn't a week ago. I found it a while ago, and then today I went looking for update stories, and I can't find any update stories. As a matter of fact, all the stories are either re- reprints of the original story um, or or some conversation. Anyway, so but this appears to be the the one I, I this is the one I found in the first place from the FlightGlobal.com website. Um, unknown object strikes Colombian A320 in cruise. Uh, Colombian investigators are trying to ascertain the nature of an object which struck an Airbus A320 at cruise altitude in the country's airspace. So apparently they're just they're motoring along at uh, at uh, what flight 35,000 feet um, when and it, they they don't talk about what the symptom was. It was was it a noise or was it a shudder? Or they just say um, that it sustained a quote impact from an unknown object. And uh, there were no alarms or indications or malfunctions or anything like that. And so they continued on to apparently their destination, Bogota. Um, on the ground, the inspection revealed a 20-centimeter depression in the forward left-hand side of the aircraft. Man, that's almost eight inches. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But so, yeah. but it, a depression. So I'm picturing, there are no pictures here. So I'm just, in my imagination, this is just sort of a dent. It got whacked with something. Um, and uh, it's not clear. Well, it says left-hand side of the aircraft, so it's not like it ran into it straight on. Like something hit it from the side, maybe. Um, uh, Jack, take take your hand, your free hand, yeah, whatever one you're not stroking yourself with. <laughs> Spread your fingers <laughs> out as wide as yeah as you can, and the distance between the tip of your thumb and the tip of your little finger is going to be real close to eight inches. Eight That's inches. how big that depression is. I get it. I get it. All right. Yeah. So and then, so, and then take and then take your hand. You yeah. make a fist yeah. and go hit the radome of an A320 and tell me what happens. Well, now there's a lot of there was some controversy and or some discussion whether or not this they were talking about the radome because I I'm not convinced they were talking about the radome, but um, but some yeah they're really vague about that. And I've yeah. been looking for something on the Flight Safety Foundation site and haven't found anything. Some spe- yeah. but David, let's go back to your eight inches here, um, the width of your hand. Um, is your point here that that's a <laughs> big good, dent or a small you, dent? It's good that you further define that. Yes, right, uh, David. Are you are you is your point here that that's a big dent or a small dent? That's the point is that's a big bloody dent okay. to All suffer right. at thirty five thousand feet and yeah. four hundred eighty knots. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. Jeb, what do you think? I think the pilots may have needed to change their shorts. You, you think, yeah, yeah, you think it scared them, huh? I, I kind of wonder about that. Um, they, I'm, I'm Googling this also, and I don't see much, um, I don't see any follow-up yeah. at all. Now, I gave you another link in the show, in, in the, Same uh, in the notes, um, that, was a, a f- the comments are kind of interesting, um, where a bunch of you know readers are are, are n- discussing what it might have been, and uh, you know, and and the and they kind of fall into the. Ca- there was a lot of discussion about whether or not there can be any birds at thirty five thousand feet, and apparently it's not impossible, but very unlikely. It's it's unlikely. Yeah. 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 Um, 
So then they're talking about it possibly being a meteorite, which is the first thing I thought of, quite frankly. All right, some sort of you know space debris that that came down. Um, although I think my, my I think my my I don't know how to put this. My dark horse favorite is that they suggested that it might have been impact from some blue ice from a higher flying aircraft, which uh, I don't know about that. Either. And that's as good as any right now. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's that's not bad. I mean. Thirty-five thousand feet. Uh, some of the uh, some of the other aircraft doing long distance, they're flying as high as fifty-one, fifty-two thousand yeah. feet. Well, fifty-one certified. There's new airplanes coming out that go higher than that. Yeah, yeah I was at three nine zero a couple of days ago. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little bit, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, it's uh, it's a thing. They. Uh, you know, and it's kind of a mystery, and and there isn't, as you we, you and I both alluded to, there isn't a lot of follow up on this just yet. Yeah. Um, does does Columbia have any sort of NTSB like uh, organization that will be looking into this? This is uh, they have an organization that investigates aircraft accidents. I I forget the acronym, um, but um, whether or not they'll be looking into this, whether or not they'll publish anything. And whether or not they'll make an English translation, translation are, are three different things. Right. Yeah. Well, they, uh, they, they, there was some kind of residue that uh, they were able to get off the aircraft at the location of the, the dent that they were really? says was being analyzed. Yeah. Yeah. Piece, on, piece online says that they were analyzing to determine what kind of object that hit the aircraft. And the CAA of Columbia, Civil Aeronautics Authority, you know, rated the occurrence as an incident and is investigating. So there you go. Well, you and go. the ground speed was 435 knots. Yeah, well, see, so I don't know. I guess if they were overtaking the thing and they hit it at less than in, in the, uh, you know, the incident speed, I don't know what the right word would be, but uh, would be less than that, but maybe well, not. Relative wind could have something to do with it, too. Yeah. So, you know. Yep. Did they, I mean, we, uh, no, I guess it, it's unlikely that it would be a piece of that airplane that broke loose. It seems... It would have to be flying faster than the airplane to do that. Yeah, well, if it fell off forward and came back and glancing blow, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking here, but all right. Well, all right, so we haven't solved that problem. I guess we're not going to solve that problem. We're going to have to Probably, leave, well, leave it Well, you know, Columbia. we don't even know if it's a problem. It could just be a random event that uh, isn't going to happen again. Yeah, well, hope, yeah, maybe. Or, or the chances of it happening again are very slim. Yeah. Uh, the meteorite thing, uh, the bird thing, the blue ice thing, those are all good theories. And, and uh, um, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll know, maybe we won't. Yep. Maybe they'll tell us. Yep. Welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General <laughs> Aviation Podcast. That's your segue? That's my segue. That's my segue. I was thinking along the lines of, let's see, what about you just use some words? I was thinking to myself, I made myself a little note that I got to listen more carefully when you when I listen to the recording, because you maybe, said, you said something was, along the lines of an odd one-time-only uh, 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 you know, incident, right? And I was maybe trying it to, was the Bluebird Group. The Bluebird Group? Yes. What's the, <laughs> there's the, there's, we got the Blue Man Group. Why oh, can't we have the Blue Bird Group? The Blue Bird Group. It could be. It could be. And Blue Ice Group doesn't sound like a far-fetched explanation. No, no. There we go. I think we're on to something now. Uh, yeah. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you here from high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful, cold, but oddly warm. Where uh, bird strikes are much more likely. Nottingham, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, well, here at, at uh, flight level, what would be the flight level at 250 feet above sea level? Anyways, um, 0025 or something like that? Um, 002. 
002. 002. Yeah. So, yeah, now a lot more birds here and uh, um, and uh, warmer. Although it was it was minus 14 here the other morning. Yeah, and that's real, real. Uh, I don't know something real. I was going to say real men, but that's sexist. Um, you know, real people. How cold did it get in, in, in Florida? Well, you've been gone from Florida, Jeb. You don't know. David, it's been warm where you are, though, right? These are my two good friends, by the way. I should just say I'm just babbling here that uh, I'm talking to you here in our virtual hangar. Uh, one of those is, uh, who should go first? David, you go first. More, uh, Dave Higdon uh, from uh, Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? What's going yeah, on? Jack, Jack's a little out of practice. We haven't done this lately. No, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. David, what's going on? Oh, we're just doing fine. It's finest frog here out here. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, looking at the, we're past the midpoint of February, and I'm still waiting for February to show up. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's an odd winter, but they're all odd for the, since the last 10 years or so or more. Um, and Well, uh, last, last week was a great day to go sailing. It was uh, 78, and the winds were gusting into the mid-50s, so... Uh, but I wouldn't want to try to launch or land a small airplane in it. Right. It was going from the mid twenties to oh, the gusts were there was a thirty knot gust factor. Per, yeah, it's the part sailing the part that I was having a thing with. Are you you're about as far away from the ocean as one can be in in Oh yeah, America. but we got we got a couple of kick ass sailing lakes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you do have a you do have a. I, I tell you, I've noted a couple times that you have a uh, a, a retired uh, um, America's Cup yacht. Um, on display in the yeah they downtown. didn't hold the cup here but the uh, the guy did a lot of his early year sailing on uh, on chaining yeah uh, and the Olympic uh, trials for the U S uh, for these small sailboats to compete in the Olympics they've been done here a few times yeah yeah and my other good friend is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota Florida Jeb Burnside hi Jeb what's going on nothing much uh, just kind of licking my wounds yeah and, uh, now. Um, it, it, first of all, it, so it's it's nice down there. It's winter. It's like you know, sixty it's, degrees and freezing, right? It's it's like sixty degrees and uh, the sun is shining. Uh, it, it's finally dried out a little bit, although we're supposed to get a little bit more rain later in the week. Um, but it's it's a good time of year to be in Florida. Yeah, you just came back from a bit of an adventure, huh? Where where'd you yeah, go? Yeah, another one. Yeah, I was in Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. So uh, obviously yeah. airlines. You didn't take the Deb, the Debbie didn't, too. Uh, didn't take the Deb this trip to Singapore. Uh, kind of needed a little bit more, uh, uh, a little faster method. Sure. How does one travel to Singapore from from Hidden River? Excruciatingly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. In this case, I did Sarasota, Atlanta, Atlanta, Tokyo, Tokyo, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, just curious, what aircraft were you on in those three legs? Uh, in, in order, a 737, a 777, and a 767. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you were uh, out there covering, uh, what, what was the aviation event uh, that was the, going on? The Singapore Air Show 2016. Yeah. Uh, it's a uh, biennial event, not unlike your flight review. And um, uh, a lot of military, a lot of commercial, a lot of business aircraft. Uh, there were a couple of um, uh, what you might want to consider personal airplanes uh, around in some helicopters and, and like that. Um, but, um, that's, that's the main flavor of the show. Mm-hmm. Did you have a chance to uh, learn anything about, you know, general aviation in Singapore? Is there, yeah, there's, there? there's, there, in fact, there was a, um, a book that was being distributed that kind of detailed, um, the history of aviation in Singapore. And I thumbed through it a good bit. Uh, there's 
quite a, a quite interesting section on general aviation in Singapore. Keep in mind, Singapore is what I'd kind of sort of call a city state. It's um, however many square miles. It's it's just slightly bigger than the District of Columbia, or slightly bigger, maybe four or five times the size of the District of Columbia, with you know like five million people crammed into it. Um, there's a limited number of airports as a consequence. And uh, the, the, uh, uh, in, in, in one instance, the, uh, the big airport there, Changi, um, obviously a lot of airline traffic going in and out, but it's, it's, it shares runways or shares some of the airspace there with the military strip. Mm -hmm. um, there's an outlying uh, field, the name of which escapes me, <clears throat> excuse me, that is... Uh, um, traditionally been sort of the reliever general mm -hmm. aviation, business aviation field. Did, did you get any sense of whether there's any sort of personal aviation going on? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit, it, it, mainly at that, that outlying field. Mm -hmm. um, there was, uh, there's, there's clearly flight training, ab initio flight training going on. How much of that is geared toward uh, personal flying versus airline flying? Uh, people, you know, wanting to make a career, um, it, it, I can't really estimate. Um, I, it, so I certainly wouldn't say that it's a bastion of, say, skydiving or um, sailplanes mm -hmm. or uh, ultralights or uh, uh, LSA-type aircraft, microlights, whatever you want to call them. Um, but there's clearly GA out there, and, and that close to uh, Malaysia, kind of, kind of sort of surrounded by Malaysia, um, that would be the place I would go if I was looking for what you might want to call North American tradition general aviation. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. Well, yeah, well welcome home. And, Thank you. Uh, it's uh, it's quite an adventure. I'm I'm a little jealous, but not not. I'm jealous of that you got a chance to experience that culture. I'm not at all jealous that you got to do that long airline trip. Yeah, the the long airline trip is is the coming back was easier for some reason. Um, Mainly because I think I was more tired, and and sleeping made it go quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, either way, I mean, yeah, a three flight day—that's uh, a long day, uh, and it's, it's actually more than a day. What what's the Great Circle from Atlanta to Narita like? What does it sort of go over? Does it go over? Um, does it, it go over the pole, or does it go? No, no, we didn't get as high as Alaska, according to the to the map. We were south of the Aleutians. Um, I, I wish I could tell you because I didn't pay that much attention where we went feet dry over the states. Yeah, no, I'm gonna. I want to. I want to say something like uh, Northern California, Oregon, um, flew over um, uh, maybe Canada. I, I I I just don't really recall. I know we flew over, say, Paducah, Kentucky, uh, on, on the Great Circle back in, uh, into Atlanta. And uh, that was a fairly constant um, uh, Great Circle route, according to the, the, you know, the, the map thing on the back of the seat in front of me. Right. Um, Where is Singapore here? I'm playing with Google Earth here. I'm drawing yeah. a line here. Google, uh, Singapore is uh, in here someplace. Yeah, dude, Tokyo to, um, to Atlanta. Here's China. Oh, here's, here's Japan. Oh, so Narita. Where's Narita? Well, let's just say Tokyo. Okay, so now let's zoom out on my, my great circle line from Atlanta to 
uh, Narita goes up over Minnesota, um, over Anchorage, Alaska, the Bering Sea, and then comes down on the other yeah. side there. The one I'm looking at, I just did one on Google Maps. Um, this one, yeah, a little bit more than uh, halfway um, closer to the Aleutians than Honolulu, for example, and went feet dry above San Francisco. Uh-huh. This particular route did not does not go over um, <clears throat> the Paducah, Kentucky area, so this might not be the same route we flew. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's routing. It's not a great circle necessarily, you know, what they got to do to, I don't know what. Anyways, well, welcome home. Uh, quite Thank an you. adventure. Thank and, yeah. uh, you know, well, uh, the jet lag worn off. You're only back like three or four days now, right? Yeah, it hasn't been that long. But, yeah, pretty much. I, I got back Thursday night. In fact, wheels up out of Tokyo at 5.30 in the afternoon local time and landed in Atlanta, scheduled to land in Atlanta at 4, and we got in closer to 2.30 thanks to some tailwinds. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, literally got to Atlanta before I left Tokyo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Kind of. Sort of. It's an illusion, but you know, we'll work it's, with it. We can it's work. all relative. That's right. Yeah. Let's see now. Uh, following up from, uh, from a couple things following up from old episodes. Um, two episodes ago when we recorded from your hangar, uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about the uh, uh, Boeing 717. And, uh, and I was remembering that I had flown in a Boeing 717 that I really liked the, the way it was outfitted. And I, I had sort of a sense that it was some sort of regional carrier or something, and I couldn't remember what it was. Got a, a tweet from, uh, from a good friend of ours, a, a listener and friend, uh, Jonathan Hardwick. Um, he uh, tweeted uh, that uh, catching up with, uh, with Uncontrolled Airspace, uh, episode 395, the airline with 717 that Jack Hodgson was thinking about is the defunct Midwest Express. He says, best care in the air. <laughs> so I don't know if that I don't know if he was a if he was a crew member or just a a, a, a appreciative customer, but uh, and that does ring a bell. Midwest Express, I think yeah. that's probably what it yeah. was, and uh, so it was very cool. Uh, and I remember there were some other I think maybe some follow ups on this tweet where people were talking about you know the the great uh, cabin uh, layouts they had there and uh, and uh, you know just the the fit and finish was really very nice the seats were larger than average and it was just a pleasant pleasant um airliner to, to mm-hmm. uh to uh ride in and uh, uh but they're apparently gone now so yeah, they got uh, absorbed by somebody i don't remember who. yeah i think i think they were absorbed at the time too i i vaguely remember that there was some you know like wasn't its original carrier or something like that i remember noticing taking note of something like that at the time so i don't know David, there was some conversation between you and folks in the forums about 717s. What was that? There was? Yeah, yeah. Someone someone answered a question. You, oh, you wanted to know what happened to the 717s that somebody oh, the had. the 717s, right. The, the that Airtran, that Southwest have. absorbed but needed to get rid of. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, well, you know, I should just probably go right. in. Right, Jonathan... It wasn't Told Jonathan. Us where some of them went. Yeah, no, it wasn't Jonathan Harbrook though. It was. It was. Uh, it was uh, Semper Fi. It was. Um, yes. Uh, right. Um, I'm looking for his name right now, but uh, um, who's an airline captain, I believe. And uh, third, third time, guys. His name is Terry Hand. Thank you. He's a captain for Delta. Yep. I forget his. Uh, I forget his handle in the forums. Um, he's the one who who uh, answered that question. Yep. 
And he talked about how uh, to to get to rid themselves of these airplanes, uh, Southwest had to uh, spend a couple dollars to uh, fix them up or something like that. And uh, so, yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, airplanes. it's kind of along the lines of we'll we'll pay you to take these airplanes. <laughs> I guess well, the last thing Southwest would want is something to screw up their their um, um, single model mold. I I wondered about that when they absorbed AirTrans, what they were going to do because yeah. you know they were because I I think oh, there was there was never any question that they they were going to use them only as long as it took for them to finish the transition to uh, absorbing AirTran into their, their operation, which yeah took the better part of two years to. Come Execute. It's always struck me that that, that an airline, set, you know, uh, uh, standardizing, if you will, on, on one model like that was a good idea uh, for a lot of different reasons. It made, you know, interchangeable parts and pilots and crew and and whatnot. Herb Kelleher. Yeah. Back before Southwest had flown a single mile, that was his that was his view. But I wonder about this because one plane. Yeah. One type, one one crew type rating, uh, one training regime, one set of spare parts. Uh, simple, simple, simple. I guess, but but you know, the seven thirty seven has evolved so much over the years that I, I just wonder about its its uh, you know is it is it really one model really in fact these days? What's a there was a news recently about some new what what do they call it a seven thirty seven Max or something like that? Do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? What, what makes it yeah. Max? I've never looked up to see what made it Max, but apparently it had its first flight or a first flight or something recently. And uh, uh, big big thing I believe is the newer engines that are a lot more fuel efficient and uh, more use of composites to lighten it up and make it less expensive to fly. And it's quieter because uh, noise regulations are catching up even with the uh, Stage 3 airplanes now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, the evolution of the 737 into from the 100 to 200 was kind of, you know, a no-brainer. And Southwest started when there was nothing but 200s. Right. Uh, but Southwest has evolved significantly since since its early days and now flies a much greater variety of routes and distances. And Boeing's been nice enough to work with them to make sure that they have the right 737s to match up with most of those routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three different sizes, if I remember right. Yeah, I think that's right. Another follow-up here, um, when we were at um, the Sebring show uh, a few weeks back, um, I think, I know Dave and I, I don't know, Jeb, if you were, noticed this one as well, but we were talking about the Merlin LSA, um, a, a relatively low-priced, and maybe, was it really an LSA? Is this the same airplane, David? Do you remember what I'm talking about? There was a really yeah, small yeah. one Well, this is one of two really inexpensive single-seat light sport planes that yeah. we saw at, at Sebring. And uh, uh, it's been in the news since we came back from Florida that uh, I think it's had, had its first flight or <clears> there's been some news about it. And uh, um, let's see, what's the story say here? I probably should just look it up. And uh, and they're, they're headquartered at uh, South Lakeland Air Park. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Which from the pictures I'm looking at, if that's South Lakeland, it's, uh, it's evolved too since my last trip there. 
Yeah, is that is that South Lakeland is the one that uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's south of Lakeland. It's uh, um, it's about due south of Lakeland, about seven miles. Yeah, and, and it's uh, a little a little kind of grass strip, sort of semi residential air park kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be called Circle X, and for a long time, its biggest business was a drop zone, skydivers. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I know I, I hear about it just about every year when we're at Sun and Fun because uh, various of our journalist friends will head out for demo flights that are, that are uh, you know. That's the go-to place if you're flying a demo out of, and some outfits prefer to fly their demos out of South Lakeland and avoid the traffic hassles of getting in and out of, uh, out of uh, the Sun and Fun right. uh, environment. So, yeah, this is... Uh, Thirty. I think the base price is thirty-five thousand. Yeah, and that's basic instruments, airframe, and engine. And engine. Yeah. And that, but that's a kit, right? It's not built. It's a kit, but you could you could classify it as a quick build kit because uh, it doesn't take as much as some kits do. Yeah. They 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 they're promoting a two week to fly program. Uh, uh, what does that mean exactly? This. You come to the factory, and in two weeks, you build your airplane, and you fly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's cool, I guess. And, and it's a high-wing airplane, Jack. Yeah, I know. It's a high-wing airplane. And, yeah. and it's cantilevered. So, yeah. you, you know, when you stretch yourself, there's no strut to bump into. Yeah, okay. It's not what I... I'll, I, I historically <laughs> will walk into the trailing edge of a wing just about any chance you give me. Um, it's, it's a thing. I, I, I think I, you're a little taller than the trailing the, edge. Uh, the trailing edge of a 152 will, puts a very distinct pattern in my <laughs> forehead. All right, if you if you're familiar, right, you know that diamond the, checkering. Exactly right. That, yes, it's, uh, it's that's got, how you tell student pilots from others <laughs> and me. Yeah. I've walked into the back of that foolish thing so many times. Anyways, um, cool airplane, the Merlin LSA. So uh, and uh, two weeks to fly. Well, there you go. There, there you, you go. go. It'll, it'll be spring by then. And if you want to Somewhere. dress it up with a uh, uh, an airframe parachute and some nicer instruments, uh, you can option it out with everything they offer and still come in at fifty grand. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking and of two, about, about a hundred and twenty mile an hour airplane. Yeah. Speaking of two weeks to fly, uh, the uh, Jeb, did you get your airplane back? <laughs> <laughs> no. We talked no. about this on a past episode. You, uh, no, you put your airplane into the shop for very cool reasons. It's not like repairs. Uh-huh. You're going to have some improvements made here, some upgrades. Right. What, and uh, so refresh our memory. You talked about this in the past. But what is it you're going to have having done to um, the airplane? Yeah, you know, several things. Um, I'm getting the uh, L3 uh, links um, ADS-B transponder mm-hmm. all in all in one box installed, um, and uh, WAS upgrade to my existing 530. Um, oh, good for you! Yeah, uh, and all the all the bells and whistles that uh, that attend to that. Uh, getting a new ELT and a new encoder because because. Um, and uh, getting assorted little things fixed, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, autopilot had had failed, and uh, uh, number two com radio wasn't calming, and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So getting all that addressed, getting all that taken care of, and cleaning out my bank account all at the same time. Yeah, I know, huh? I bet. Um, and so you're going to be 2020 compliant with this, right? ADSB-wise. I will be compliant with uh, the 2020 mandate. That's correct. Yeah. I'll also have. Uh, um, uh, ADSB in 
I'll have that on the face of the box in a touchscreen uh, fashion. It's like uh, you know, maybe two iPhones laid side by side, mm-hmm. I, um, and um, and it'll also broadcast uh, over a Wi-Fi dongle. It'll also broadcast to Flight. Oh yeah! Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's all—it's kind of an all-in-one solution, and I'm really, really, really looking forward. To yeah. It. So it's not done yet, but I can't imagine that you aren't keeping track of how it's going. How's it going? Well, I got a picture uh, in, in, via email earlier today, and uh, all the big stuff looks like it's still, you know, bolted to the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of curious as to, uh, you know, what the the uh, end game is going to be here, but uh, we'll uh, we'll know more later in the week, and uh, hopefully. Uh, I'm not going to cross my fingers uh, that I'll be. I'll have it. I'll get it back by the end of the week. But mm-hmm. sometime next week, maybe it'll be ready. Yeah, very cool. Well, obviously, you will want you to fill us in. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, um, she doesn't know it yet. But Amy and I, Amy Laboda and I, are going to be spending some quality time getting getting to know my new stat, my new uh, panel. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, Amy being uh, one of your CFIs of choice these days. A- Amy being one of my CFIs of choice these days. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, a good choice is, is yeah, as far choice. as I'm concerned. You know. And I, I enjoy flying with her. I, I think, hope she enjoys flying with me. And uh, uh, it's 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 been uh, mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Hey, I don't know if this is a thing or not. I just I, so, and I just want to touch on this maybe quickly. Um, I've been I've been reading a lot and watching a lot about motorcycle modifications and automobile modifications, kind of hot rod builders and things like that. And in the last couple of days, I came across uh, some some um, um, motorsports modifier modding people who were just singing the praises of ethanol-based gas, basically, um, you know, engine fuel, and. And that's kind of contrary to everything that we've ever talked about. About we, we, we kind of curse ethanol in, in the fuel, even the little bit. And they were singing the praises of E85, which is up, upwards of 85% ethanol and gas. Um, and, and we curse the, the, the existence of 10% ethanol. And I know I've seen what it does to rubber parts when, you, when I've helped you take apart motorcycles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so there was this real kind of cognitive, dis- cognitive disconnect, if you will, um, between what I've heard from you and from other aviation people and then these car people just going, this is the future, you know. And, and uh, <clears throat> is, is ethanol, and ethanol clearly is bad in terms of it's, it's, it's the rubber parts and, and rubber fuel cells and, 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 uh, and, it, and it does some bad things in terms of, of, uh, of uh, um, moisture, right? Um, right. Um, First of all, um, putting ethanol or fuel containing ethanol into most conventional airplanes is a big no-no. So let's, yep. let's dispense with that okay. first of all. It's f- for a reason beyond things like rubber parts? and For a reason simply because it's not approved. Oh, okay. Uh, not tested, not approved, and if and uh, perhaps has been tested and did not did not get approved. Um, this includes, let's say, you have a <clears throat> a Cherokee 140 to pick a pick an airframe with, which David's familiar, uh, and you have the uh, the MoGas, the uh, the AutoGas uh, STC for that airplane. It will specifically state that um, no fuel containing ethanol is allowed under that STC, and may in fact require you to test fuel uh, or obtain it from a certified source or a, 
in certified, I might put in finger quotes, um, before you put that fuel in your airplane to ensure that it has no ethanol in it. Um, the problem, as you just, I think, identified, um, is twofold in my mind. One is ethanol attracts water and uh, tends to bond with that water, uh, which can be a very bad thing in sub-freezing temperatures or, say, um, in a carburetor uh, uh, just downstream of the Venturi. Uh, where you can pick up uh, even more carburetor ice than you ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. uh, the other problem is uh, the fuel system itself, the tanks, the tubings, the gaskets, um, the fuel pump even, um, may or may not be uh, compatible with alcohol-based or, or fuels with alcohol in them. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little bemused by what you say in that I'd like to know a little bit more about who these guys are and who, who these people are and, and why they think that ethanol is the bee's knees. Um, it may be that um, um, they're running some kind of a trick engine where it's burning only ethanol, which yes is no. certainly, certainly doable. And I think Brazil... Uh, automobiles in Brazil do that quite often uh, or are built for uh, ethanol, uh, straight ethanol, without mixing any uh, uh, petroleum product in with it. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly for older fuel systems, older fuel systems supporting com or internal combustion engines, ethanol is a bad thing for the reasons we just outlined. Motorcycles, older cars... Uh, even lawn equipment, boats uh, around yeah. here, um, um, you will often find um, at a marina, for example, you will often find that the fuel is specifically marked as not containing ethanol because it, it can do the same kinds of things to boat engines and yeah. boat fuel systems yeah. as it does to uh, automobiles and airplanes. I've looked around, we're straying from airplanes here, but I have looked around up here in the southern New Hampshire area for any any sort of gas station that sells ethanol-free gas, and it's it, almost non-existent. Yeah. Um, well, most of the airports that I know of around here that sell mo gas that have it as an option, they're getting their uh, mo gas directly from a uh, distributor uh, because, in general, the ethanol blend that comes out of most fuel pumps, you know, gas station pumps, is blended at the distributor. Right. It's, yeah, and so if you can get your mo gas from the distributor directly or get them to deliver it to you yeah. directly, yeah, it no. can bypass that et right. ethanol problem altogether. And that's and that's one of the places. The, the two, there's two airports in the area that um, sell ethanol-free mo gas. Um, and it's occurred to me to take a, a, a five-gallon can there and try and buy some gas directly from. I don't know whether they, I've never tried this. I don't know whether that'd be an issue or not. But uh, whether they. Well, what, are you, what are you going to use it for? Are you going to use it in your motorcycle? In the motorcycles is what I was thinking. Just give some hundred low live. You think so? I mean, I've also been treating the gas. Hey, well, 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 let's talk about this offline because it's yeah, nothing to yeah. do with aviation. Yeah. But I was just kind of curious whether or not this is. And I'll send you a link to these these uh, guys. They're Australian, by the way. Um, the, the the guys who were singing the praises of ethanol E eighty five fuel for their hot rods were are, are Australian, and uh, and they make a strong case. It's not you know they are they using pure ethanol in no, their they're hot using E eighty five. Although they talk about going all the way up, oh, they, okay. they talk about going all the way up to to. E85 is 85% ethanol. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it's almost yeah. pure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there's a few places around the U.S. where you can get E85 as well. If if the car if the engine is tuned. Yeah, and apparently and built specifically for that that level of of ethanol, it might not be a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, one of my motorcycles is a more recent version, and as as both of you know, it it. Uh, um, it's designed a for unleaded, uh, as opposed to maybe all the rest of my bikes. But b, uh, it specifically states that up to ten percent ethanol is allowed. Yeah, but ethanol gas in airplanes, no, no, <clears throat> no, 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 no. And no, this no. includes and, and, well, LSAs that. Re- well, let, let's let's clarify that in 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 conventional Lycoming uh, continental powered airplanes, no, 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 no. Um, um, ah. You know, Rotax. Yeah. Rotax allows up to ten percent ethanol. Ten percent. Yeah. They do. Okay. By by their limitations, and but in fact, but this a is a result of Rotax doing some of its own testing. That's right. true. A lot of operators uh, operating LSA. I know one one flight school in the D.C. area. Um, they tend to prefer MoGas, and I presume um, they'll either go. Uh, ETN or uh, just straight uh, at gasoline, simply because it doesn't have the lead in it that fouls the plugs and mm-hmm. creates other issues. And and if you look at Rotax's uh, uh, manuals, um, if you run hundred low lead in your Rotax engine, there are certain things that you have to do f- to ensure continuing airworthiness, like clean the plugs twice as often or something like that. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, there, there were a couple of uh, college professors who were pilots back 18, 20 years ago that were championing the idea of uh, changing over aviation to 100% alcohol. And they were flying airplanes that had been modified to burn ethanol. <laughs> there was even a team from South Dakota, I want to say. That uh, maybe may Iowa, I don't remember now, honestly, but there was the ethanol-powered team of RV3s. Hmm. And they were all painted the same corn yellow. Oh, I remember that. And had little martini glasses painted on the spinner. Yeah, okay. That's the, mo- that's the, that's the uh, yeah, right. That's the message we want to go for, the meme we want and to promote. They, 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 they were on the air show circuit for a while uh-huh. being supported by the ethanol interests here in the Midwest. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the only never... ethanol that gets near my airplane is after it's been put back in there. There you go. There you go. All right, then. Moving well, on. Well, they use, they use ethanol in the Indy cars. Right. But yeah. that's 100%. Yeah, that's 100%. And, and sometimes they'll mix in some other goodies besides right. straight right. alcohol. But they do get great gas mileage. Almost three miles to a gallon. Uh, yeah, yeah could the race cars do right? Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on here. So uh, from the, the the I don't know from the sublime to the ridiculous. That's not really the right segue. Um, so what is it? The FAA reauthorization. Some, somebody's been drinking some ethanol. Yeah, somebody's I mean, been using. <laughs> I, I only wish. Always the one. I only wish. Not quite yet. Um, the whole subject of privatizing ATC and maybe even privatizing the FAA has reared its ugly head in in recent weeks, and uh, you know what's the story? Well, how did this, what form has this taken? Who wants to talk? Taken the form of a of a bill in the House. Um, I think it's HR four 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 one, the uh, Fair Act. I don't remember what the acronym stands for, um, but it's basically the FAA reauthorization that we've serially talked about since the beginning of this podcast. Um, 
in this instance, uh, the bill would reauthorize the FAA and, and do some other things. Um, but the primary thing that it would do um, is privatize air traffic control in the United States. Um, if you've ever tried to picture a solution in search of a problem, mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's right. I know what you mean. And uh, it's, it, it's and it got it's, and the yeah. the House committee passed it out. Right? They approved it. The House committee oh, reported yeah. it out. Um, there's there was a thing in Avweb this morning I saw, but it was <sighs> terminology was inexact, so I didn't pay that much attention to it. Um, it, it appeared to you know it's a shame I can't just click on something and bring up that article. Hold on a second. Yeah, there's a couple of different articles here on our list, and uh... Uh, let's see, uh, reauthorization bill stalled in committee. I'll send you a link here. Um, copy, copy. Where are you? Well, something that I read uh, just a little bit before we are linked up. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, even though the uh, Mr. Schuster, he's the uh, congressman that's uh, spearheading this uh, from Pennsylvania. He, uh, he he got the bill voted out of committee, uh, approved by his his committee. Uh, and now he's holding up, sending it to the full house, because uh, there's been been a fair amount of pushback from rank and file in the house, uh, and not just from Democrats that uh, think that this is a, a business giveaway, uh, but from some of Mr. Schuster's fellow party members, and it's not even close to having the same support that he thinks he has in the house over in the Senate. Uh, the Senate's going to be a whole different ball of wax, and I'd be really surprised if that bill even even got a Senate vote. Now, which side is it that has the great big um, GA caucus? Is that the House or the Senate? Both sides. Both have do. GA caucuses. Yeah, the, the House GA caucus is more than a, more than half the House. Right. Yeah. And and, yeah. and have they, to the extent they speak as a group, have they spoken about this? They have not, to my knowledge. They don't really speak as a group on something like this because uh, someone like Bill Schuster cut them off at the knees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So well, two two of the founders of the GA caucus uh, kind of they they ran something in. I believe it was in the Hill, the the Capitol Hill uh, newspaper, about about a month ago, saying that they could support. Uh, the concept of uh, creating a, a publicly owned corporation to run air traffic control, but setting limits on how far that support would go. And one of the things that they kind of drew a line on was user fees for GA. And they kind of brought that down to all GA, but otherwise they were, they were open to the discussion. Uh, kind of disappointed me because there's no way to do that without user fees. And even though Mr. Schuster's bill explicitly exempts stuff like WeFly, uh, it does creep into GA some with where it wants to hit some uh, uh, general aviation uh, 135 uh, on-demand charter work. 
and some private owners that fly business turbines. They don't fly for companies. They just fly themselves. They would be hit up with the same fees, and that's stepping on GA's toes as well. And uh, But as long as Mr. Schuster is driving the bus with his committee, he's pretty much going to get what he wants. It's when he has to move it away from the committee that it gets less predictable. Yeah, and he's already – the bill's already been reported from the, from the committee. That happened uh, something about – something like through a goose. I forget what the exact terminology is like. <laughs> yeah, okay. Quickly is uh, what you're saying, I think, right? Yeah, um, and it was, it was introduced and sat around for a couple of weeks, and then it went through the committee uh, like through a goose. And uh, it's um, the, the AvWeb story that I sent you. Um, as I said, just you know, has slightly uh, odd terminology, but basically the the bill uh, is ready to be considered by the full house. It just has not been calendared yet. It's not been scheduled for consideration. And yeah, you didn't pull this, it, but it's not yeah, on the agenda right now. According to the story in AvWeb, uh, there's there's uh, block opposition from Democrats and grumblings from within the Republican ranks. Not to mention vocal opposition from numerous industry groups right. prompted the bill's champion, Bill Schuster, to delay. He says introduction, but that's not the correct word. Um, perhaps scheduling uh, while he consolidates support. Um, and the last graph in this, in this, uh, <coughs> sorry, the last sentence in the first graph of the story says <clears throat> that likely means more changes are coming to the bill, whose centerpiece is the formation of a federally chartered, chartered not-for-profit corporation to take over air traffic services. And it's not clear how long the bill will be delayed. Um, I don't know how you can carve up that baby. Either either you're going to have privatized ATC or you're not. Um, and uh, whether you know certain changes can be made to the bill. A lot of people are focused on the user fee aspects, um, and that's clearly a, a reason to oppose... Um, this bill at this time. Um, as an aside, there's nothing wrong with funding the FAA that increasing the fuel and, and airline ticket taxes won't cure. Um, yeah. We don't need to reinvent. We don't need to invent a whole new bureaucracy to to collect funds to run the FAA. We have that uh, uh, mechanism in place already. That it's not bringing in enough money is not a reason to abandon it. It's a reason to increase the, the taxes. And I'll STFU on that topic. But um, generally, someone, I mean, uh, um, Congressman out of Oregon, uh, Peter DeFazio, who's, I think, the ranking Democrat on the, on the Transportation Committee, uh, made the point of, in an op-ed a few days slash weeks ago um, that... Um, Guys, we're just you know we're just turning over the air traffic control system to this this corporation for free. We're not getting anything for it. I mean, really, that's that's the plan. Um, and yeah. he raises he raises some very good points, which mm-hmm. you know just another reason to kind of scratch your head your head and and say whiskey tango foxtrot. Um, but the bottom line for me is. And, and Jack, you you kind of twigged on this in, yeah. a, in an editorial I wrote for the March issue of Aviation Safety, yes. which get, gets into the fact that from its inception, the air traffic control system in the U.S. has been operated on a first come, first served basis. Any anybody who meets the equipage requirements, for example, 
the training requirements, for another example, can go pretty much anywhere he or she wants. There might be a landing fee at the end of it, uh, but that's between you and the airport. That's not between you and the <clears throat> and the air traffic control system. Um, it's you might have to wait for a slot. You might have to wait for a slot. You might have to get a reservation. You might have to get a special clearance. You might have to do something else. But once you meet those requirements, no one's going to tell you that you can't fly and you can't fly in that airspace. Um, or that, that you've got to step aside and let somebody else through. Exactly. That you have to go out and circle while Southwest is doing a rush or a push at some, somewhere. Mm -hmm. And is that um, how you think it might be different? I think yeah. Um, it'll you know if you want to overfly Louisville on uh, I know say ten o'clock on a weeknight, um, they might not want you to do that, <laughs> or Memphis or something like that. They might say no, come back in six hours. Mm -hmm. You know I'll tell you right now, Louisville is a great example because my hometown is right across the river, and I have many trips into uh, Clark County Regional Airport. Uh, Juliet Victory Yankee uh, coming in 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night and on an IFR flight plan buddy, I'm, I'm going to get some vectors to get segued into the uh, UPS traffic until it, I can at least cross their arrival path and get on the uh, initial approach fix for that airport and maybe it can uh, it, it can involve a few miles going around out of my way just yeah. to get that segue Imagine if the people that control air traffic could take a vote and say, well, if you're not paying to use a system like these GA guys aren't, you go to the bottom of the list when it comes coming through uh, high-density traffic zones during pushes. Yeah. Man, right. now you are got right. problems right. in Boston. you got problems in New York. you got problems in Chicago, D.C., Baltimore. All the Class Charlie airports are suddenly going to be a real hassle to get around. One of the snake oil aspects to this is it's being touted as a way to to decrease congestion and increase efficiency. Um, <laughs> and I just I, I got into an argument with someone recently about this. And I said, how are you going to do that? <clears throat> the FAA already knows how to to put aircraft uh, onto runways and get them off of runways. Um, we've talked about this before, put them together to keep them apart. Um, they have we have uh, arrival routings. We have departure routings. Um, you'll see at a, at a busy time at any major airport, um, they are pumping airplanes out one runway and landing them on the next on the other one, the parallel runway, and they're doing that for hours at a time. They've got this thing down to a fine science. I don't care what you do in the airspace; you're not going to appreciably change that, and certainly not going to appreciably change that by turning this over to a private corporation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, that, in and of itself, that doesn't, that's not going to solve the problem. The only problem out there is runway capacity. If you Thank increase you. the number of runways, you will increase uh, our regions or, or an airport's capacity. You're not going to, to uh, um, do that by changing air traffic procedures uh, you know, there's an argument that ADSB is going to allow them to fly um, um, less distance, less in-trail distance, right. in, in route and in the terminal environment. But I don't care because right. you still have 
call it 60 seconds, call it 70 seconds, whatever time it is that it takes for an airplane to, to fly over the threshold, touch down, slow down, exit the runway, and be clear of the runway before the next one comes in, that's your limiting factor. Right, right. Yeah, that's so this called is, runway acceptance rate, yeah. and all the big airports have a number of what they can get in an hour under optimal conditions, and another number that they can get in under less than optimal, and another number for hard IFR. And as the weather deteriorates, that in trail separation increases. The most that we can expect out of WASP GPS and, and uh, things like the, uh, the uh, what is it, navigation performance. Uh, 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 required navigation performance. Thank you, required uh, RNP. Is to, they can tighten up that end trail. They can maybe tighten up the separation on final in bad weather. But they're still not going to get better than they can get in bed, in good weather because at a certain point, you got to maintain that spacing just to let the weight vortex dissipate. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You, you, you can mix up. Um, you know, I mean, if it's all a bunch of seven thirty sevens going into Love Field, um, then you don't have to worry too much about um, weight, weight turbulence or in separation, in trail separation. Throw a seven five, throw a seven, uh, throw a heavy seven five in there, or God forbid, an A three eighty, and it, it goes in down the down the tubes. Yeah. The yeah, uh, uh, 757s are no, notoriously dirty airplane uh-huh. for that too. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the name of this thing, Jeb, that you were searching for earlier is uh, the Aviation Innovation Reform and Reauthorization Act, the AIRR, AIRR, uh, uh, also known as HR four 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 one. And I and I think uh, the three of us are all in in pretty violent agreement that this is a, a poor idea. Um, and in fact, no, the, it's, it's Poor ideas to, to damn with faint yeah, praise. That's right. That's right. It, it's a horrendous idea. It's a horrendous idea, it, and it's it's kind of the wet dream of the airline industry and some some large uh, uh, government contractors who would be selling equipment um, to this new corporation. Um, basically, you know, if you think the FAA, let me put it another way, if you really think. Um, the FAA has not been doing all it can over the years to squeeze out the last drop of efficiency and uh, um, um, decongest the airspace and, and improve operations all around the country. Then you really need to take a step back and, and think about why they, why you think that. Um, the FAA is the world's model. For air traffic control, for certification, uh, for operation of of uh, an aviation agency on a national basis, and it ain't broken. It, and the, the, you know, there's a lot of things about the FAA that we'd all like to fix, uh, medical certificates among them, but this aspect of FAA operations ain't broken. Yeah. And so I think I think this is definitely one of those times when uh, we should uh, get in touch with our elected representatives. You and, might want to try that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the three, best place to do them. that. The best yeah. place to do that. Yeah. Is is on the NBAA site. They have a good for a good. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to find a link here while we're talking. Okay. 
Um, Why don't you keep looking at that? Um, but I, we we, we kind of need to move on here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, this is one of those places where we need to to check in with our reps and and let them know what we an think. F, an FAA retiree I know calls calls it the Airline Welfare and Corporate Giveaway Act of 2016, uh-huh. <laughs> and hey. it is absolutely the uh, be all and end all of the think tank people who have an addiction to the idea that private business can always do better than the government yeah. with absolutely no basis in reality on this point. That's right. And Charlotte doesn't like it, so we know it's a bad idea. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yet? I think she sees a couple of uh, uh, think tank dogs running around next door. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, nba.org slash advocacy slash contact, and then there's a specific um, URL that I just sent to both of you. Right. We'll get that uh, in the show notes and uh, we'll on the website. The and, uh, notes, yeah. yeah, so time, we need to speak out on this one. This, this, yep, this is it's, a problem. And this is, you know, th- this is an election year, so um, chiming in on issues like this has a little bit greater effect than it might other years. Um, but I think more importantly, um, this is not going to go away this year. This is Schuster... Um, is the type of individual who will continue to try to push this, even though it may seem like it's dead. Yeah. Well, I was so thrilled that for the first time in so many years, I can't remember, a White House budget proposal arrived at Congress without trying to without language to privatize the air traffic service. I thought that's cool. Well, and that's, then Schuster comes along. Well, yeah, I, I think you're mixing mixing bad ideas with horrendous ideas. But I don't know that the administration has ever proposed privatizing it. This administration has ever proposed privatizing ATC. They may have proposed user fees. That's even, it. That's even, it. Yeah, even that has not been the case for a number of years. And the idea of, of user fees on aviation goes back at least to the Reagan administration. So it's not a partisan thing. Um, no, it never has um, been. It never has been, and it's it's always been a bad idea. Yeah. So, hey, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Uh, let's jump ahead, I think, to uh, shout-outs real quickly. Um, what do we got here? Uh, one shout-out that I think is very exciting. This, this goes for way months into the future, but it's not too early to be thinking about this. I, I'm very excited that the Snowbird, the Canadian mm-hmm. Air Force Snowbirds, have been added to the Air Venture 2016 schedule. I'm just oh, that's very cool. I have that not is. seen the Snowbirds fly uh, in person in probably 15 years more, um, 20 years almost, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to this. And so. Uh, if you're looking for one more thing to tip you over the edge uh, to decide to go to Air Venture this summer, um, this this might be it. Um, seeing the snowbirds uh, in Oshkosh will be very very cool. So uh, that's uh, that's one one shout out I've got here. Um, what else? You guys got any shout outs? I do, David. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to some of the new friends that I'm making through the Sonex Foundation and uh, the president out there, Robbie, who. Uh, sent me a note after I signed up uh, welcoming me to the foundation and saying he was a long time uncontrolled airspace listener so that kind of surprised me uh, huh, very cool so shout out to Robbie and the rest of the Sonic Foundation folks and uh, the uh, the other organization I uh, haven't joined yet but I'm about to so very nice 
Very nice. Jeb, shout outs? Uh, well, one shout out uh, um, is to the uh, UCAP swag store. Oh, yeah. Um, What's going on there these days? Um, not a whole lot because I've been traveling, but um, I've got a few things up my sleeve and um, um, we'll see how that comes out. And we'll talk about that maybe in a, in a future episode. But uh, I think the punchline is if there's something out there that our listeners want in the way of. Uh, uh, a T-shirt or a hat or a coffee mug or something like that with a UCAP logo or or some snappy little saying that you might or might not hear on an episode of UCAP uh, of Uncontrolled Airspace. Let me know. Let us know. Put something in the forums. Yeah. Um, and uh, if we can do it, we'll do it. And uh, who knows? You know, um, it might be a big seller, and you might be supporting uh, uncontrolled airspace. Yeah. And if people wanted to find out what's in the uh, UCAP swag store right now, what's the URL they go to? Uh, they would go to um, a URL that is not in front of me. I happen to I'm know loaded. it. I'm sorry. I, I have a loaded question. <laughs> it's uh, uncontrolledairspace.com slash store is the simple uh, URL, and that'll take you to uh, to a, 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 a sort of a highlights page about uh, the uh, swag store and uh, and UCAP merch. And then, uh, and then you can from there go on to uh, the place where you can actually buy things. So, uh, uh, uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I'd also I'd also like to give a quick shout out yeah. to uh, to uh, Mike Friedman, who's a longtime friend and uh, um, had a hangar across the way from me at Manassas for years. Uh, has a nice little detail. Um, he did some uh, some work with me recently uh, in another airplane, and I'd just like to shout out and thank him for all his help, and uh, uh, pleasure to, to fly with him, and uh, um, look forward to doing that again sometime. Yeah. Real quickly, it's still about six weeks off in the future, but uh, Sun and Fun is coming up, and yes, uh, yes. and uh, Uncontrolled Airspace will, as as for many, many years now, be at, uh, at uh, Sun and Fun. Um, the, uh, we're going to be doing two uh, full-blown episodes there for, on the first day and the last day. Uh, we'll be doing those from the uh, deck of the Sun and Fun radio station. Oh, boy. Yeah, a lot of fun. And, uh, and we, we would love having people come by and, and, uh, and listen as we uh, record those episodes and, and visit with us uh, afterwards and before and during and, and whatnot. So, uh, so expect that uh, on the uh, evening, sort of uh, 6 o'clock-ish, it's usually after the air show is over, on the first day of Sun and Fun, which I believe is what Tuesday, right? Um, yep. And uh, and Tuesday then, the fifth. And then late morning on the closing day, it's Sunday. Um, and so it's usually the usually around eleven a.m. or something like that. We'll get precise times as we get a little closer. Um, but uh, but uh, Tuesday evening and Sunday morning, and uh, and we hang out at the radio station all week long. So if you want to come by and say hi, that's a good place. And and visit with the Sun and Fun radio folks who are who are cool and a lot of fun too. So uh, yeah, Sun and Fun's coming, and it's going to be very cool. And uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. So. Uh, that's uh, that's my other shout out, um, and uh, I don't I don't think I have anything else that can't hold till another time. How about you guys? Yes? No? Fork time? Um, stick me, me with the fork. Let me look here real quick. Uh, we don't want to talk about the porn star who crash landed her airplane. <laughs> yeah, I've, for weeks, for episodes now, I've been just putting that one off. No, nope, I don't think we're going to talk don't about. Want, don't want to talk about. That. I don't even see what there is for us to. You know, we've already crossed the line once, maybe twice in this episode. I think that would be that would be the. I was going to say okay. kiss of death, but I don't know. So if that's... okay, so we won't talk about the porn star who crash landed her airplane 
on a California highway. Okay, just for the record. Nope, nope, nope. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna talk not about her or or congratulate her on her off field landing of the week, um, or make any of the really really poor bad. You think triple, it would be double and triple entendres? What's that? You think it would be too risque? It would be, yeah, it would definitely put us out of the category of family podcasts. That's what I think. That's what I think. Hey, listen, guys, thank you. I really appreciate it when we get together. It's a lot of fun, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time. My two good friends here, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What have you been working on, David, other than your airplane? Well, let me see here. The... Uh got a thing about partial plan or partial panel planning on the uh the latest day avionics news and uh that's uh the weekly blog on avbuyer.com uh we talked a little bit about uh, the current events this past friday this coming friday we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh one of the programs that promotes business aviation so we just try to keep ahead of the curve. Very cool. And where can people find you and some of these things on the internets? Uh, avbuyer.com. Uh, look for the magazine link. Uh, and you can find me under the uh, business aviation uh, bloggers down near the bottom. And uh, aea.net. Uh, and I'm not sure if my other client even has their stuff on a website. I have to check. Yeah. And on Twitter, you're Real Higdon. Uh, Real Higdon and... Uh, Dave at uncontrolled airspace. Otherwise. Yeah. And somewhat miraculously, all three of us posted to the UCAP forums in the past week, which is if you've been paying attention to the forums, oh, wow. you realize how miraculous that is. Maybe I, that'll, maybe that will continue. I don't know. No promises. Go buy a lottery card. Yeah. But, uh, um, and then, then uh, my other good friend here, Jeb Burnside, a, a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor in chief of aviation safety magazine. Other than uh, Singapore and, and long airline flights, Jeb, what are you been working on? Uh, that's pretty much it. As far as uh, the last few remaining brain cells I have can can tell me, um, um, gearing up for the the April issue of uh, Aviation Safety Magazine, I'm looking to have an article in there on uh, on the JFK Jr. accident. Oh, really? Yeah. Is there every time I encounter someone who is a non-pilot uh, and get into discussing? general aviation and personal aviation and personal airplanes the conversation in inevitably turns to jfk really jfk jr mm-hmm. and what you know what happened what did he do wrong he's that, that kind of thing scares me and, and all this kind of thing and um maybe it's time to revisit that and 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 re uh, um think uh how that accident happened and uh how the rest of us can a prevent it, but perhaps more importantly, talk about it yeah. when uh, we get those questions. I think that sounds like a great idea. Are you writing that, or is some, who's I writing? am writing that? Yes. Very cool. Very cool. I'll look I, forward I to that. I did an I, I did an op-ed for the Wichita Eagle about a week after that accident, mm-hmm. and I'd long been gone from the Wichita Eagle, but I started to see stuff pop up in the paper and in some of the then uh, nascent uh, online sites about. How this was a sign that they should require only instrument pilots be able to fly at night, and that they should have somebody along to help them. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So the editorial page editor was uh, 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 very uh, responsive when I offered to do an op-ed piece for it. 
there, there's there's some good lessons there and some bad ideas that came out of it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Jeb, I look forward to seeing your piece. That sounds so, very, very so interesting. So will I. Have, yeah, right. Well, I'll reinforce it being a good idea. Um, uh, go for it. Uh, where can people find you and uh, this stuff and, and, well, and whatnot see. on the internets? Um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com uh, for that particular outlet. Um, generalaviationnews.com for some other stuff that I do uh, like Dave uh, you can also find me on aea.net and uh, certainly later in the year uh, I'll be working on their convention coverage probably in their uh, I don't know, May issue and I think May and June issues mm-hmm. uh, both actually um, and then um, uh, on the Twitter machine, I am uh, Burnside J. There you go. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can follow me at uh, twitter.com slash jackhodgson. Uh, and you can learn more than, about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Hey, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, thanks to uh, Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, to Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP Disclaimer Clips. Follow, please follow us on Twitter. Uh, the uh, podcast itself has a Twitter uh, uh, account, uh, stream, uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class, the letter G, airspace. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. Check out the UCAP swag shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums uh, and, uh, and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something. Live long and enjoy it because you can go fly and enjoy life more because flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. (laughs) Thank you, Ringo. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.